Our gospel reading today is taken from the Gospel of Luke. We're reading Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read the law? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and all your mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal, and he brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, and he gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. It's a pleasure today to have Tim Cook with us today. Tim is our treasurer. And today, Tim is going to reach into the treasury of the Holy Gospel uh, for us. So thank you, Tim. Good afternoon. It's a pleasure again to open up the Word of God today and see what he has to say to us. And this afternoon, we have before us one of the most well-known passages in the Bible, the parable of the Good Samaritan. This parable is so well-known that many aspects of our society have been influenced by it. There are laws, acts, hospitals, and charities named after it, and it has inspired a multitude of art and pop culture over the last 2,000 years. The term Good Samaritan has become colloquial. According to Wikipedia, a Good Samaritan simply means someone who helps a stranger. But there's more to this passage than simply an encouragement to look out for injured people on our way home from church today. And although we are not studying one of the Ten Commandments this afternoon, this text teaches us about the law and its relevance to us as Christians of the 21st century. Let's begin in a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we praise you for who you are and what you've done in our lives. We thank you for this opportunity to gather before your word. And I pray today that your Holy Spirit would come and teach us, that we would be ruled by your scriptures that you would give us grace to listen, to understand, and to obey, that we would go and do likewise. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, 
O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So today I want to look first at the dialogue between Jesus and the lawyer, and second at the parable itself. So let's begin. The dialogue, there's two characters. There's a lawyer and there's Jesus. And the lawyer, we don't know his name, but we know two things about him. One is he's an expert in the Jewish law, also known as a scribe. And two is his motive. He wants to put Jesus to the test. His motive is not to learn, even though he calls Jesus teacher. It is not to submit to Jesus' authority. And it is not to grow or mature or change. The lawyer's motive is to test and challenge Jesus. So the lawyer chooses his favorite controversial discussion topic, eternal life. And he asks Jesus about this. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, interestingly enough, does not immediately answer his question. But he turns it on him. What is written in the law? How do you read it? Basically, you're the lawyer. You tell me. And this is not the first time we've seen Jesus do this, answer a question with another question. Jesus is questioning the lawyer to get to the root of the issue in the lawyer's heart. So the lawyer answers his question, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. The lawyer nails it, 10 out of 10. The lawyer's answer is virtually identical to the answer that Jesus himself gives on another occasion in Matthew 22. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So we don't really know if this lawyer had heard Jesus teach this in the past, or if he just had an excellent understanding of how these commands from Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19 summarize the entire law. But Jesus affirms the correctness of his answer. And after agreeing with the lawyer's intellectual understanding of the law, Jesus tells him, do this and you will live. What does it look like to do this? What does it look like to obey these commands? Matthew Henry says this about the two greatest commandments. Number one, we must love God with all our hearts, must look upon him as the best of beings, in himself most amiable, and infinitely perfect and excellent, as one whom we lie under the greatest obligations to, both in gratitude and interest. We must prize him and value ourselves by our elation to him, must please ourselves in him and devote ourselves entirely to him. Our love to him must be sincere, hearty, and fervent. It must be a superlative love, a love that is as strong as death, but an intelligent love, and such as we can give a good account of the grounds and reasons of. It must be an entire love. He must have our whole souls and must be served with all that is within us. We must love nothing besides him, but what we love for him and in subordination to him. Two, we must love our neighbors as ourselves, which we shall easily do if we, as we ought to do, love God better than ourselves. We must wish well to all and ill to none, must do all the good we can in the world and no hurt, 
and must fix it as a rule to ourselves to do to others as we would they should do to us. And this is to love our neighbor as ourselves. Do this and you will live. How does the lawyer respond to this? Verse 29, but he desiring to justify himself said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And here again, we have a question with a motive. Last time it was to test Jesus. This time it is justification. Henry again says this, many ask good questions with the design rather to justify themselves than to inform themselves. Rather proudly, to show what good is in them, then humbly, to see what is bad in them. And the lawyer, instead of being humbled by the magnitude of these commands, seeks to justify himself. He thinks highly of himself and in his pride is looking for a way to show how good he is at obeying these commands. The irony is real. The lawyer has a strong intellectual understanding of the law, but clearly does not understand its purpose. Now let us turn to Jesus' parable. Who is my neighbor? This is the question that Jesus seeks to answer in his parable. And the setting of the story is the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, known to be steep, treacherous, and notorious for bandits and robbery. We have a man who is assumed to be Jewish, but not explicitly stated, who has been mugged and beaten up, And he's approached by three characters, a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan. The priest and the Levite, characters one and two, they're religious leaders. They're known for their good works. They're aware of this man's need, and yet they do nothing. And we can speculate about why they did nothing. Perhaps they wanted to avoid ceremonially defiling themselves. Perhaps they had an urgent appointment. Perhaps they were afraid of getting robbed themselves, or perhaps they just didn't care. We do see that despite their religious roles and affiliations, they failed to love their neighbor, which contrasts what James 1 says about true religion. The entry of the Samaritan, however, presents an unexpected twist to the story. One commentator says this, listeners would expect a priest and a Levite to be followed by a lay Israelite in an anti-clerical story. The Samaritan is totally unexpected, as is his kindness. Jews regarded Samaritans as foreigners and avoid sharing eating utensils with them. On Jewish lips, Samaritan was an insulting slur. For Jesus to make a Samaritan the parable's hero to be emulated is shocking. However, The Samaritan has something that the others do not have. Verse 33, the Samaritan saw him and had compassion. He cared about the man. He empathized with his plight. And he was committed to his well-being, sacrificing time, energy, and a few days' wages to see the man taken care of. Tying this back to the lawyer, Jesus does not, as the lawyer hopes, restrict his neighbor to other Pharisees, to those in his tribe, or only Israelites, as many first-century Jews would have understood. Rather, Jesus teaches that we are responsible for showing mercy to everyone around us, regardless of how similar or different they are to us. The greatest stranger is our neighbor, Calvin says. 
because God has bound all men together for the purpose of assisting each other. This is a hard command to obey, to love a stranger as I love myself. And the globalization of our world makes this command even harder to follow, as we are now able to help people that we were unable to help before. But to be honest, I can barely love those around me, my family, my girlfriend, my roommates, my coworkers, my friends, my church, barely. There are so many needs that these people have and that all of you have that I cannot meet or that I'm unwilling to because I'm stubborn or lazy or selfish or prideful or just plain unobservant because I'm too caught up in my own problems because I often disobey Philippians 2 and count myself more significant than others. And this is the second table, the first table. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. When I compare myself and my life to the law, to the standard that God has set before us, any sense of pride, any sense of justification, it simply crumbles. I've never loved God as I should, not for a day, not for a minute. C.H. Spurgeon says this, Do any of you want to live by the law? There is the law. Does any man here pretend that he has kept it? Let me ask any man here who would justify himself in his own works. Have you thought of God today? How much time have you spent with God? Or yesterday, how much of your time did you give him? How many minutes? Would you venture to say that you spent a quarter of an hour in prayer? No. Perhaps if it comes to the truth, You do not spend five minutes. Now, if you loved God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind, do you think that five minutes would satisfy such a love as that? Oh, no. Sirs, you that are unconverted give God no love at all. And how can you think, therefore, that you're keeping his law, which puts it so strongly? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. Have you ever done that? Neither the first nor the second table have you kept intact. What do we do? Where do we go from here, knowing that we utterly fail to observe the two greatest commandments? And as we close this afternoon, I have two ways that we can respond to this text. Number one, we must cling to Christ to our Savior Jesus Christ and his active obedience. Jesus came to fulfill the law, and he was successful when we were not. Jesus perfectly loved the Lord his God with all his heart and all his soul and all his strength and all his mind. Jesus perfectly loved his neighbor as himself. Every moment of his life, from a small infant to hanging on the cross, where he prayed for the forgiveness of those who tortured him, Now, I am no parent, but can you imagine Jesus as a two-year-old, perfectly loving his neighbor as himself? Mary and Joseph must have been devastated by their next child. Why can't you be more like Jesus? We think of Jesus' command, do this and you will live. And the truth is, none of us have done this. We all deserve to die. But Jesus has, he has done it, and yet he bore our sins and the wrath of God at the cross. And through it, he gave us, those who are in Christ, life. Jesus is the true good Samaritan 
the better Samaritan. The good Samaritan finds a stripped, beaten, and bruised body. Jesus finds us dead, rotting in our sins. The good Samaritan binds up the man's wounds. Jesus removes our heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. The good Samaritan takes the man to an inn. Jesus prepares a place for us with his Father in heaven. The good Samaritan pays a few days' wages. Jesus purchases us with his blood. When we are confronted with the law, we must cling to Christ, knowing that our own works will never save us. They will never justify us before God. If we stand on our own merits, we will always stand condemned. But Christ is our righteousness. We must be clothed with his good works, with his active obedience in order to be right before God. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. We must cling to Christ. Number two, we must go and do likewise. We are saved by grace, but we are saved for good works, which God has prepared beforehand for us to walk in. Romans 6 says it well, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin, that grace may abound? By no means. We are no longer slaves to sin, but slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. And as much as we cling to Christ, knowing that our own righteousness will not save us, we must grow in our own righteousness, in our own holiness, in our own Christ-likeness. We must imitate the true Good Samaritan. How? There are a few questions that we can ask ourselves. Number one, who are our neighbors? Who are the people that we cross paths with? Family, friends, co-workers, fellow students, strangers. Who are the people we don't cross paths with, but we could? People we're out of touch with. People we've unfollowed on Facebook. Pockets of our society that we never interact with. Secondly, what are the needs of our neighbors? Do they have physical needs? Shoveling snow? Moving furniture? Do they have family needs? Someone to watch the kids? Someone to come over and help do meal prep? Do they have relational needs? Friendship? Community? Someone to visit? Do they have financial needs? Things they can't afford that we consider to be necessities or take for granted? Finally, spiritual needs. The reality is that many do not know Christ, are dead in their sins, and are approaching an eternity in hell. As Christians, if we actually believe what we claim to believe, and if we truly love the people around us, this is a need that we cannot ignore. The need for the gospel. The need for salvation. So who are our neighbors? What are the needs of our neighbors? Thirdly, which of these needs can we meet? Which of these needs are you uniquely able to fill? Which tasks come easy for you? What are you good at? What do you like to do? Personally, I would way rather make an Excel spreadsheet than cook a meal, which is probably why I'm the treasurer and not in hospitality. But as the body of Christ, we each seek to discern our specific function and to serve to our strengths. However, at the same time, we cannot only serve based on what we like to do or want to do. We also need to ask simply what needs to be done. Sometimes doing things that we are uncomfortable with or not good at, helps us to become comfortable with them, or good at them. 
We cannot only work to our passions and our interests. We must work to the good of our neighbor, regardless of the personal sacrifice involved. As we finish, I want to encourage us to look to Christ in this as well. We cling to Christ for our salvation, but also look to him as our model of sacrificial service towards our neighbor. Matthew 20, whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Not my will, but yours be done. We look to Christ's ministry of teaching, healing, and prayer, and his death on the cross as the ultimate example of service. And we pray that the Holy Spirit would work in us to change us, to make us more like Jesus Christ in this way. As we go from here, God give us grace today to cling to Christ and to go and do likewise. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.